Will you pray with me? And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, while we are just east of the region known as Tornado Alley, we are very familiar with tornadoes, especially this time of year, right? On May 22nd, 2011, a massive EF5 tornado hit Joplin, Missouri, a few hours south from us, and it destroyed and damaged over 8,000 buildings and claimed 161 lives. On May 23rd, 2019, almost uh, eight years later to the day, an EF3 tornado rather hit Jefferson City and damaged 628 buildings and thankfully, miraculously, claimed no lives here. If you grew up and you live in this area, you are familiar with tornado watches and tornado warnings. Now the difference between a tornado watch and a warning is this. A watch means that the atmospheric conditions are right for a tornado. And a warning means a tornado has been identified. So we keep watch so that we're ready to move when we're warned. My favorite meme to help remember this is the one about tacos. A a warning, or watch rather, means we have all the ingredients to make tacos. A warning means we're having tacos right now. Now, if your family ends up at a Mexican restaurant for lunch today, you are welcome. I just planted a little taco seed in your minds without you even knowing it. Since Easter Sunday, we've been in this sermon series called Now What? What to do when we don't know what to do. And we've been hanging out a lot with the disciples, especially in those days and weeks after Jesus died and came back to life and they were trying to figure out what to do next. They were trying to understand what Jesus was asking of them, hoping for them. There were concerns, there were questions, there was confusion, but there was also hope and also prayers as they waited and listened. And 10 days earlier from today, Jesus ascended into heaven and he told them before he left that they were to go back to Jerusalem and to wait, wait for the promise of the Father. And Jesus reminded them that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so the disciples kept watch so they would be ready to move when God moved. And so focused on prayer and community together, they waited expectantly for God to make the next move. And the conditions were right, and suddenly a severe spiritual event occurred, and it went from a watch to a full-blown warning. People were gathered in this room, men and women together, when this violent rushing wind filled the place, and tongues of fire landed on top of people's heads. Now, Pentecost is often overlooked in a lot of churches and faith traditions. It's because we don't really know quite what to do with it. I mean, it can be really concerning for children, especially to hear about little flames of fire landing on people's heads. Uh, There's a story about a little boy named Lionel who was in Sunday school class, and he came home very upset. And so his mom called the Sunday school teacher and said, what happened in Sunday school today? And the teacher explains, well, we talked about Pentecost and about how it's the birthday of the church. And the mom started laughing and said, oh, that makes sense now. Pentecost sounds kind of like Santa Claus. 
And my son Lionel came home very upset saying that Santa Claus was coming to church on his birthday and was going to light everyone's heads on fire. <laughs> Something got lost in translation. And adults were not very comfortable either with things that we can't control and explain. And well, Pentecost is one of those things that you don't control and you can't really explain. In her book, Encountering God, author Diana Eck tells how the church was in the Middle Ages. It was a dismal period in Europe's history. Rome had fallen and people were just desperate for basic necessities and hope. And uh, there was this one bright spot in those dark ages and that was the local cathedrals. Seemed like every small town had one, and as one commentator said, these cathedrals were like the church-sponsored public works program that employed thousands of people during this time. And they became these centers for social and spiritual and support in every way. And it was during this time that some of these cathedrals were built that had these beautiful sculptures and murals and stained glass windows to help tell the stories of faith for the many that could not read. And Pentecost was one of the great holidays that was celebrated in these cathedrals, and the architecture of the cathedrals took that into account. The high and ornate ceilings hid trap doors, explicitly used for Pentecost. You see, during worship on Pentecost Sunday, some of the worshipers would crawl up to the rooftop, and through the, the trap doors, they would drop these live doves into the service, through the painted skies and the clouds. And these doves would come swooping down throughout the church on the congregations as the living symbols of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And at that exact moment, the choir boys would start making swooshing sounds and drum beats and stuff to create this, this atmosphere. And as the doves were swirling around and the drum beats got louder and louder, the trap doors would open again and these rose petals would fall like rain onto the people to symbolize the tongues of flame coming from the Spirit. I mean, with that kind of stuff, who needs like lasers and smoke machines in church, right? The holes through which the doves and the rose petals were dropped were known as the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit holes. And I can just imagine in such a dark and dismal period of time what this did for one's imagination and hope to encounter this theatrical worship experience Reminding them that when God shows up, surprising, unexpected, and wonderful things almost always occur. So, for my first Pentecost here as lead pastor, I thought I'd go big or go home. Release the doves! <laughs> I'm just kidding. None of you even looked, right? I'm not even going to joke about releasing the fire. We don't joke about fire at First Baptist Church. Yeah, we're not going to release doves or fires. We don't need to release anything. The Spirit of Christ has not left. The Spirit is still with us and active here on earth. And instead of praying to release something, we pray to respond, to recognize to the Spirit who is still active in the lives of those who seek to show up in the world as Jesus did, leading us to show love and grace in such empowering ways that others are surprised as well. Now I wonder what the disciples expected when they woke up that Sunday. They'd been waiting, they'd been on watch expectantly, but I imagine that's not what they thought would happen that day. Get up at seven, 
have morning prayers, eight o'clock breakfast, nine o'clock, tongues of fires, violent winds, Google Translate on steroids, and by the end of the day, 3,000 baptized. Don't think that was in the plan. And it wasn't in the plan of the multitudes of Jews that were gathered in Jerusalem for their annual pilgrimage for the festival of Pentecost or the festival of weeks. And when they heard this sound and this fury coming from this gathering place, it says that they gathered around, wondering, bewildered and astounded, not what was going on, but that they could understand what was being said in their own languages. And some were curious. And some were skeptical, saying, uh, they are drunk. But the disciple, Simon Peter, yelling over all the chaos and confusion, says, no, 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 we're not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. And I love that. I'm glad Pentecost happened in the morning so there was no confusion about later in the night. Then Peter preaches this sermon, quoting from the prophet Joel from the Hebrew Scriptures, testifying that what has happened is a fulfillment of Joel's ancient prophecy that a time would come when God would pour out God's spirit on all people so that all people of every race and gender and age would experience God's spirit and prophesy of the wonders of God, proclaiming the good news in a way that each person could understand. Seminary professor Dr. Bill Mallard says the miracle of Pentecost is not the miracle of hearing, of speaking rather, it is the miracle of hearing and understanding. It's not a miracle of the tongue, it's the miracle that God allowed people to understand and hear the truth. And may that be the miracle that continues to happen for us today as we celebrate Pentecost. Before that day was over, the church had grown from 120 to over 3,000, and it wasn't because Peter preached a really great sermon. It wasn't because they had a coffee bar in the lobby. It wasn't because they had slick social media or the latest tech. It wasn't because they had a certain style of music and worship. It was not because they threw a good old-fashioned revival with hymns and a fiery preacher. It was because the Holy Spirit empowered them. Because the Holy Spirit filled them. The Spirit of Christ was alive in them as they taught and as they healed and as they cared for the sick and as they expanded the ever-widening table. At Pentecost, the power of God came to the people of God, and the church was born. God now dwells within the community of Jesus' followers. The living temple is now made up of people, people who operate like Jesus, who end fear and oppression with love and peacefully teach humanity how to love and care for one another. That morning, the disciples were asking, now what? And I think by the end of the day, they were probably still asking that. Exhilarated, exhausted, and wondering, God, what's next? They had kept watch. They had waited. They had prayed. They had made space in their days and expectations and in their hearts so that they would be ready to move when God moved. And oh, how God moved. You see, the Spirit didn't come to the disciples when they had it all figured out and they knew what was going on. The Spirit came when the wind rushed in and they were confused about what to do next. And the Spirit comes to us 
when we're overwhelmed by chaos and confusion and when we most need to hear it. See, waiting, as author, actually, as author Jan Richardson writes at Pentecost, arrives to remind us that ashes do not have the final word and that fire does not come only to consume. It comes also to bless, to call, to inspire, to give to us what we could never begin to imagine on our own. Waiting is not wasteful, nor is it a withholding from God. Perhaps the waiting seasons in our lives are the seasons that God has created for us to make space in our expectations and in our plans and in our hearts for God. Maybe the spaces are God-appointed spaces to teach us how to wait faithfully, faithfully so that we'll be ready to move when God says move. It happened on that Pentecost Sunday and it continues to occur as Pentecost is not a one-time event, but it's an ongoing transformation of God's people empowered by the Spirit to embody Christ's love and grace, proclaiming God's wonders and the good news in how we live and how we work and even how we play. You see, the disciples had waited. They had prayed. They trusted what Jesus had told them to do next. And they made space in their days and in their expectations for God to do something unexpected. Well, like those early cathedrals, I'd like to suggest that we need to create some Holy Spirit holes in our lives. No, not literal holes in the ceiling to drop doves and rose petals down, but I think that would be really cool. Maybe next year we'll work on that. But, but in our lives, we need to create and welcome openings and spaces in our lives and in this congregation so that we can remind ourselves that we need to wait with expectation to be Pentecost people who believe that God shows up and when God comes into our lives, something surprising and unexpected and beautiful happens. We need to be awestruck and we need to be wowed by God's unpredictable spirit. We need to learn to be people who watch faithfully so we're ready to move fearlessly. Pentecost wasn't a one-time event. It continues to happen. God created and is still creating new communities of people and empowering us through the Spirit, but we need to form some Holy Spirit holes for the Spirit to drop into our lives and into this church. You may have never heard of Father Michael Judge, but you have probably seen this photo. This is a photo that's well known of them carrying out the lifeless body of Father Judge. I covered it with his photo just out of respect. But he worked for the fire department in New York City, a chaplain with them, a priest. And he was the first member of that fire department to die in the attack on 9-11. Father Michael was loved and respected by all the men and women that he worked with. And four years after his death, a memorial bench and garden were erected on Kesh Lake in Ireland, his home country. And it was designed to be a place of meditation and prayer and reflection on how to bring peace into the world. And on the bench is ascribed the prayer that Father Judge was known to have prayed each morning. Lord, take me where you want me to go. 
Let me meet whom you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. This is a prayer of one who watched faithfully so that they would be ready to move fearlessly when the spirit moved. Without certainty, but with clarity, Father Mike began each day with a prayer to create a Holy space, a Holy Spirit space in his life, transforming him and all those that he encountered by the presence and the spirit of Christ. Could we have the courage to pray this prayer each morning? to surrender our plans and expectations, to be responsive to the Spirit's leading in our lives and to welcome interruptions to our plans and days as divine interruptions and invitations? Could we learn to see the waiting seasons as Holy Spirit holes where God wishes to pour out and rain down the Spirit into our lives? This kind of daily prayer is only possible when we trust God. This kind of daily prayer each day is only possible if you truly believe God is good and you are safe with the Lord. Could this be the prayer of us as individuals but also us as a church? Lord, take us where you want us to go. Let us meet whom you want us to meet. Let, tell us what you want us to say and keep us out of your way. Keep our preferences, our expectations, our plans, our limited understanding, and keep that out of your way. In the homily at Father Mike Judge's funeral, his friend and fellow priest, um, Father Michael Duffy, concluded with these words. And so this morning, we come to bury Mike Judge's body, but not his spirit. We come to bury his voice, but not his message. We come to bury his hands, but not his good works. We come to bury his heart, but not his love. Never his love. The message of Pentecost is that there is no way and there is no one who can bury or quench the spirit or the message, or the good works, or the love of God. God's spirit has come to all, young and old, men and women, powerful and oppressed. There are no longer any barriers, and there are no limits to what the spirit can do through a people of God if we watch faithfully, so we're ready to move fearlessly for the good of others and the glory of God. Amen, let's pray together. Living God, you have sent the Holy Spirit to breathe life into us and to your church. You dwell with us. You're at work in us and through us. We are your living temple, made of people who live and love like Jesus, empowered by your spirit, God, to defeat evil with love and to tell of your marvelous works. Help us, God, to make space for your spirit who leads us to show love and grace in such surprising ways that others may still be amazed and come to know you. Help us, God, to embrace the waiting and the watching seasons, trusting you with what is next even when we don't know what that is. Lord, take us where you want us to go. Let us meet whom you want us to meet. 
tell us what you want us to say and keep us out of your way so that your way for us and the world is all that would come to be. Amen.